0: Today I'll Let Me Be Frank, we're going to start off with um, some stories of some saints you might not have heard of. His Excellency is going to tell us about Martin de Porres, Thea Bowman, Pierre Toussaint, Charbel Maclouf, and Joseph of Cupertino. And then in the second segment, a little fun with some lighthearted listener questions that have come in. So that's all I had. Some information and some fun, so keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. And if you're enjoying the show, you can help us out by going to your favorite podcast platform and rate us or review us, give us a five-star rating, and help us reach more souls. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations and Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee. We're already having a good time here with His Excellency Bishop yes, Frank Caggiano. you have your soccer <laughs> shirt on. I could see. So you're all excited.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. So is school, um,
1: on. So soccer begins before school begins?
0: Yes, of course. We need to start preseason training camp to get, uh, get the boys in shape. Mm-hmm. And uh, they – Boy, uh, Excellency, they uh, they really took the summer off. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, we all did.
0: Yeah, you know, we all did.
1: Yeah, but they're young. I mean, they're, they're, a few weeks they'll be up and running, back to
0: normal. I would think. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But is it like boot yep. camp? It is. Yeah. Uh, did um, doing a lot of uh, fitness and conditioning and strength work. Um, very little touching the ball. Uh, so, like, but core uh, training. Yes. Yep. Get them so that they can run for 90 minutes and uh, not fall over. <laughs> Jeez. So, you know, people like you, I
1: prayed for when I was in high school, that God would be just. <laughs> That's all I pray for.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure my, uh, my, my, uh, my players are, are muttering under but their I'm breath. Sure they are. Too, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. It's all deserved. <laughs> so now what shall we talk about today? I think, Excellency, we should have um, a mix of the best of of what you always offer, which is some information, and also some fun. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we had talked about possibly highlighting some saints
1: that we have not done, and yes. quite frankly, the the ones that we agreed on were quite interesting. I mean, I had known bits and pieces of their lives, but when I did the research, it was it's quite amazing. Again, it it yeah. shows you the beauty and the grandeur of sanctity and how it's lived in so many different ways, right? In different vocations, yes. different ages, and and how people overcame tremendous sufferings.
0: Yes, right? yep. And unwittingly, <laughs> or uh, we chose a um, very diverse yeah. group yes, to, we did. for today. Yes, we did,
1: So let's start with the first, which is Martin de Porres. Okay. So Martin was born in 1579 and he died in 1639. So he is post-Reformation, but only by a couple of decades, right? And the interesting thing is, he, he eventually became, he was Peruvian, became a lay brother of the Dominicans. But his road was very difficult and filled with tremendous amount of obstacles, built on discrimination, precisely because... He was the illegitimate son of a Spanish nobleman, right, and a Peruvian woman. And the father, the the nobleman, abandoned the family when he was two years old, when his sister was born. So he was a man who knew poverty profoundly and so much so that he only went to school for two grades, and then his mother couldn't afford it, so he became apprenticed. I think he was apprenticed. I forget if he was apprenticed to a barber, but he had had an apprenticeship just to support him. So, I mean, in many ways, when you think of it, um, to, to live in that situation could provoke many responses. In the modern world, Chances are a person would see the wealth around them and become perhaps tempted to envy or anger, right? Or worse. He, on the other hand, was a man of profound charity and care for the poor and sick. So he was a descendant really of, in Peruvian law, Anyone who was a descendant of either Native Americans or Africans were barred by law from entering into religious life. Now let's think about that for a second. This is this is in the church, and the church tolerated this. Mm-hmm. So while he felt called, he could not enter religious life. That's why he was a lay brother till his death. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you're the subject of discrimination. You you're, grew, grew up in profound poverty, and your heart is open, right? Your heart is not closed. It's not bitter. It's open. That's remarkable, isn't it? It's absolutely remarkable. And, and some of the stories about Martin, he, lit, he worked eight years before he made his vow to be a third order a Dominican, And what did he do? He did laundry. He did washing floors. He did cleaning. He did, and he did it joyfully. Yes. He never became a priest, obviously. He never became a full religious. And when he actually was able, after long and arduous time, to have his superiors trust him, right? He, um, he served 160 poor people a day, raising arms, food, and whatever their needs were. And there's a very faint story about Martin, right? When he, he was told to stop caring for the sick and stop bringing them in, right? Stop. So what does he do? He continues. Why?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not because he wants to be disobedient, but because he felt this profound calling from the Lord to do this. When his superior, when he took in a, a beggar who was dying, barely clothed, sick, put him in his own bed, cared for, him, and his superior in the in the uh, in the convent in the friary said to him, "I told you you could not do this anymore." And Martin's response is, uh, "Well, two things. One, he said." I, I'm not certain when obedience became more important than charity. And the second was because the man was like a mess and smelt to high heaven. <laughs> he said to the to the spirit, compassion, my dear brother, is always preferable to cleanliness.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, could you imagine putting that person into your own bed? You know, I, th- the reason I say this is because when we look at a person like him, he is, he was the product of a society that gave him every reason to turn away from God. And he used every reason not to. And yeah. that should give us perseverance, right? And encouragement in our own world, which is filled with yeah. many, many, much smaller sufferings in your life and mine. Question is, that make that, do those sufferings make us more charitable or less charitable? Fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. I, I offer him as a model for us to think about. In the end, the question is, what do I do with my suffering? Does it make me more charitable and closer to the Lord, or do I use it as an occasion to drift away from the Lord? Martin de Poris gives us the way. That's number one. Okay. Second person, who I believe is venerable, right? That's Bowman.
0: So mm, yes. she
1: was born in 1937 and she, only, and she died in 1990, yeah. right? So we're talking quite contemporary to all of us. So she was a black Catholic religious sister, teacher, musician, liturgist, who was one of the pioneers in a ministry of the Catholic Church towards African-American Catholics and to serve them and their needs, and to recognize their unique contribution in the life of the church. So you could imagine that in her road, particularly in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and early 60s, how difficult that was for her to do this, okay? So she was a convert, right? Her family was basically Methodist. They gave her permission to convert at nine years old into the Catholic faith, isn't that amazing? And by her own choice, instruction all the rest. Her right. father, I believe, was a doctor. Her mother was a teacher. So even though her grandfather was a slave, her parents were not. Right? They're actually fairly accomplished. And she became a sister at age 15. She entered the convent. Of course, that was a different name. The Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in Wisconsin. She was born in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. Right? So she went up to yes. Wisconsin and I'm, her parents were not too keen on the idea, but she prevailed. So God bless them for not being in the way because they could have been. Right, And yep. she got her master's in English, she had a doctorate in English, she wrote her thesis on Thomas More, and she was a graduate of the Catholic University of America. Right, So why is she so important? She's so important for many reasons. Number one, she was the quintessential educator. She taught in the elementary school, she taught in the high school, she taught in college. She also, in her education, began to explore the need for the creation of a hymnal that reflected African-American Catholic culture. And for those of us who have had the opportunity really to... to, uh, Participate and celebrate in liturgies that, you know, basically are an expression of African American Catholic worship and piety. It is an uplifting, joyful, almost jubilant, participative expression of worship, right? And she says those are the characteristics of music in the African American Catholic community, as it perhaps in the African American community of all Christian denominations, but even in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. So she highlighted, she created the first hymnal for it that really became long, that became very much well known in the Catholic world. But she also became, for lack of a better word, she became an advocate to talk about, challenge, celebrate, the unique contribution and culture of African-American and black Catholics. Yeah. So she she spoke everywhere. I mean, all over the world. Yeah. So um, there was one poignant moment in her life. She was diagnosed with cancer. I forget what cancer it was. I don't know if you remember. I forget what cancer it was. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't remember. But
1: but she had cancer. And she didn't have very long to live. It was just very aggressive. And a few months before she died, she was asked to address the bishops of the United States Confer- Conference of Catholic Bishops, and she addressed them in a wheelchair. Right? And again, she challenged them right, to recognize the beauty, the diversity, the uniqueness, and the authenticity of African-American Catholics in the larger life of the church. And not marginalize it, but celebrate it, right? And yes. allow everyone to see it and be part of it. Right? And I was taught, of course, I was not a bishop in 1990, but that was 16 years before I was ordained a bishop. I sure it wasn't all that many years before. and bishops who are older actually i've heard bishops speak about this who are much older and there are news reports on how bishops were crying in the room because of her remarks wow and they all joined her in a rendition of the speak the, of the spiritual we shall overcome
0: they all sang along with yeah him? wow yeah <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so so it, it so She is an inspirational prophetic voice of what the church is called to be and is not yet there. She's on the road to sainthood. She's not a saint, but she Mm -hmm. is a a servant of God, and that process has begun for her. But I would think in the not-too-distant future, with the prayers of the people of God, she too will be among the saints. What a tremendous woman to have among our own American saints for everything she stood for.
0: Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she died only in 1990. Yeah. And she was only 52 years old. Oh, was that how old she was? 52. Yes. So she was young. Yeah. And yeah. So in, in wow. which
1: case, if she were, if she had lived to 65, then it would only have been, yeah, that was right, before, right before I became a bishop. So I mean, it's it's like she's our contemporary.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. But now let's go back a bit in time again, right? Okay. Because if I were to say to you, Pierre Toussaint, what would you say? What do you know about
0: Pierre? I know a little bit about him only because uh, I love him. He he was um, uh, brought to America as a slave, Mm -hmm. established great wealth, Mm -hmm. and then was freed and became a uh, a, a very um, generous patron Mm -hmm. And, uh, and supporter of, um, of, of disadvantaged people. Yeah.
1: He, first of all, he's Haitian American, right? And that's important. As you say, he was a slave brought to the United States in 1787. He was born in 1766. He died in 1853. So he died um, just a few years before the start of the Civil War. And as you say, he was, he was freed. But the interesting thing is, he was apprenticed, and he was barber slash hairdresser to the rich and famous in New York City. And he made, as you say, an acceptable income because of that. And what did he do with that income? He is de facto one of the founders of Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of New York by his charity and his outreach. He also helped finance the construction of the old St. Patrick's Cathedral downtown. So again, you're a slave, you grew up in poverty, you have this family that is working with you and that you're serving. Every reason to say, you know, you people are out of your minds. I should get this. Yeah. I deserve this. I, this. What about me? You know, it could be bitter, it could be angry, and yet, like Martin de Porres, in a different context, his mind was open to the charity of the people around him. Yeah. Right. He went to mass. I, I I'm told, he went to mass every day for sixty six years. Can you imagine? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> imagine. And he had a sister, I believe, he also supported. I believe he supported his nephew when his sister died. So when you say to yourself, how does God give a path for a man like this to be able to be a force for his grace and his will, right? When we talk about the path of goodness, right? We always speak about truth, beauty, and goodness, path of goodness, in virtue, and to be able to manifest the first signs of the kingdom. If God chose to be a barber and a hairdresser, I mean, however you want to call it, I guess hairdresser to women, Mm -hmm. barber to men, however you, it leaves me almost speechless to think that God said, yeah, this is the path, and he was able to use it to such an extent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, what? uh, So, he sheltered orphans. He supported wayward boys, right? He adopted his, um, I believe, his niece, right? Mm. When his his sister died. He was a refuge for priests. He had a lodging for, for travelers, right? I mean, and he died of tuberculosis like his parents did. He was the benefactor for the first New York City school exclusively for uh, black children at Old St. Patrick's because, again, it was segregated Mm -hmm. in those those times, right, in the uh, 18th and 19th century. And when his cause became known, like when his name rose, I believe it was Cardinal O'Connor, if I'm not mistaken. Cardinal O'Connor had him, him exhumed from the cemetery of old St. Patrick's and he is buried now under the main altar of St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. He is yeah, the only amazing. layman buried under that, all, every, all the other ones are the bishops, archbishops, and cardinals that were, once led the archdiocese. So to that's think amazing. a Haitian American slave who was a hairdresser is buried under the altar of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Let's think about that for a second. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. That makes me proud. Yeah. Right? And it was yeah. John Paul who declared him venerable. So so we have to pray for the miracles to come. And there may be miracles already being looked at, I really don't know. But we have to pray that this man yes. also
0: is raised to the altar as blessed and a saint. Yes. I think he was um he was also a contemporary of um, Elizabeth Ann Seton, yeah. Excellency. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Same and, time. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And he helped He helped her with the funds. He wasn't the only one, but he contributed significant funds for her building her orphanage in New York, which was uh, for white children, but his charity didn't know color. So, remarkable. Yeah. It's remarkable.
1: And I'll tell you, for the archdiocese, for the people of New York, when the day comes that he will be, please God, canonized. What a tremendous boost spiritually for the people of the archdiocese and for the people of the country, right? And particularly for the Haitian community.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, right? Okay. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. (laughs) So who (laughs) else shall we go to? Who else shall we go to? Tell me. How how about speaking of St. Patrick's? In St. Patrick's upstairs, they have a special shrine dedicated to St. Charbel Makhlouf. Uh, a Maronite saint. See, Bishop yes.
1: Michael Thomas should be here to do this because I'm not going to do it correct justice and he'll probably call me. But <laughs> <nonetheless>. <laughs> um, first of all, Lebanese Maronite in Lebanon. So born 1828, died 1898 in a part of the world that has known war for 4,000 years. He was a monk, a man of profound holiness, a man that was renowned in his own time for his holiness, one that sought hermitage, really, to be alone, a great miracle worker both in his life and certainly after his death, and a voice for unity between Christians and Muslims, which, as you know, Lebanon was in many ways almost a model country for religious tolerance up to the last few decades. Yes. Right? We talked about that. Beirut was considered the Paris of the East. Yes. Huh? Yep. But let's go back to his context. So, his, when his natural father died at a young age and his mother remarried, his father, his stepfather was a priest because the clergy, of course, in the Maronite church, in the Patriarchate were married, most were married. So his real name is Yusuf. And when he entered into religious life, took the name of Shabel because Shabel was a second century martyr of the faith. So again, he was entrusting his life to the Lord at whatever cost, even at the cost of his life. Now, again, let's think about this for a second. So the man is basically in a monastery, then he's a hermit, and yet his holiness becomes more and more renowned, that people are coming to him from all places. How does that happen? Except in the power of grace. That that was the purpose of his life, to be that, that that person who inspired others to seek him out and his advice and and to learn from his way of life, the detachment from material things, right? To seek only God in, in one's prayer life. It's amazing. His body is, inc- but see now this is interesting too. Now I can stand corrected, but my understanding is that his body is incorrupt, but also flexible. So what does that mean? That it hasn't decayed and it hasn't stiffened either. So it almost gives the appearance of someone who is sleeping, who just will not wake up. Again, you may say, well, what's that? My sense is that's a sign of the, of the privilege and grace God has given this man so that those others who lived after him hearing this would say, well, let me learn about him. Let me turn to him in prayer and ask for whatever else it may be. But the fact that you had such profound holiness is a miracle worker. So many miracles are that there are shrines for him all over the world, including St. Patrick's yeah. Cathedral. Right. right yeah and it's all, if I if I remember if you're looking down the altar it's on the it's on the right hand side I believe
0: or on the left if hand you're side. facing the altar it's on the left it's on yes. the left hand so right hand side facing yes. the back
1: yeah yes yeah that was only put not long ago for before I remember Cardinal Dolan I think yeah. did that he did yes yeah. yep yeah. so I hope I did justice to to, to Saint draw bell yeah. he by the way is on the universal calendar of the church. Pope Benedict put him on the universal test. So even in the Latin church, we celebrate his feast day. Yeah. Right? Yep. So it shows you how important, his importance in the life of the church in the last 200 years, how it has grown, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. And the last one, who is a bit of an enigma to me, because I didn't know much of St. Joseph of Cupertino. I'd heard the name and all until I did a little bit of research. So I'm going to quiz you again, Steve. So tell me, what do you okay. know
0: about St. Joseph? So the only reason I know about him is for two reasons. I saw an old black and white movie about him. Did you really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, um, and also the coffee shop at Franciscan University of Steubenville is called Cupertino's. Is it? <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder why. So I only know that he was uh, very simple not very bright, Mm-mm. but so holy that he would levitate when he would pray. And, and by locate. Oh, wow. I did. And not had know ecstasies, that.
1: too. <laughs> the ecstasies. So that he would go and, and it would just like be in his own different world. And of course, a couple of things. All right. First and foremost, he lived in the 17th century, 1603 to 1663. So he lives to be 60. To your point, not well educated, not well spoken. Um, And therefore had a hard time to be, to enter into religious life at all, right? Mm -hmm. He was born in a stable. Huh. Yeah. When his, I, I, I guess his father died, left a huge amount of debt. His mother couldn't pay all of it. She was essentially homeless for a while and she gave birth to him in a stable. And I thought to myself, my goodness, what a parallel. Yeah. The one thing I like about St. Joseph is that he had outbursts of anger that were very unsaintly. Gives me hope. (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Gives me hope. And yet, despite being fragile and human, to your point, his love for the Lord was so profound, so deep, that he would enter into these ecstasies and the levitation would have been a sign of almost his self-offering to the Lord. Now, the difficulty was in his age, the Inquisition that existed, not of happy memory, considered people who levitated witches. So they actually denounced him right, and moved him around. But in the end, even they gave up because his holiness was clear. Mm. So I must yeah. confess, I have to find out why the coffee shop at Francisca that Franciscan is named after him. I, I'm going to make it my business now to find out. Okay. <laughs> He's yeah, certainly not well
0: known. Yes. Yep. Right. He yep. is a mystic. Yep.
1: And simple, sometimes worst of anger, still among the saints. Gives us all hope.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Uh, When we come back, Excellency, we're going to do a whole segment on listener questions, so we'll have a little fun with that uh, today. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back.
2: If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203 742 1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option five, or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option five, or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency. So we have – I think I have like a list of like 50 questions that we've got from listeners. So we can't do all 50 today, but we'll do a bunch of them. Yep. And um, and I think we went through and we just picked out some of the ones that are a little more lighthearted yes. for, for yes. today. So Yes, and I have some backups have some... if we answer these real quick. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. okay. So let's uh, jump in. Um, here's the first one. Uh, On Star Trek – the Federation has a prime directive not to interfere with the normal course of development of an alien planet. What would you say is the prime directive of Christianity?
1: Well, first of all, God bless this person that they watch Star Trek because you are not far <laughs> from the kingdom of God. That's number one.
0: <laughs>
1: number two, I, gosh, what immediately came to mind was Matthew 28:19. The last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, go out and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I command you. I think that is the prime directive of Christianity. Because in it, you're evangelizing the good news. It's about a savior. Into which we are saved in baptism, to His death and resurrection, and we are commanded to observe. That is, we are to live our faith in the world, teach it, live it, because our faith is not a way of life. Our faith is the path to heaven. I think that kind of summarizes it. Right? But there's many other things. You can love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. This, I, I mean, it's. I could have lots of different answers to that question, depending. But yeah. that's the first thing that came to mind. Well, well how would you answer the question?
0: No, I love that answer. I th- I think I can I I can only agree with you excellency. And it's go out to all nations like mm-hmm. don't stop here, don't stop there. It's to everybody. It's for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the Star Trek one, yeah. which is don't interfere. Yeah,
1: but in Star Trek, they usually did interfere here and there. That's how that's how the show <laughs> had all those
0: seasons. Otherwise, <laughs> it would be quite boring. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> wow. Oh, gosh. Okay. So the next one, next question um, is, is this, Excellency. It says, what's your favorite religious statue or painting? Is there a work of art which when you saw it either in print or in person moved you? And then- the second part of that question, which religious site moved or affected you the most?
1: Well, for for those who have worked with me these last few years since COVID, in the time that I would do my meetings in my apartment in Brooklyn, particularly at the height, you in fact you know this, Steve. Behind me is the depiction of my favorite artwork. And that is the Rembrandt. Painting of the prodigal son. And for those who have not, I'm sure everyone has seen it in some way, shape, or form, but it's with the son kneeling in front of his father. His father has him clasped in his hands, kind of holding him close by. And then there's a, a two or three shadowy figures. One of them is Rembrandt himself painted into the portrait to see this moment of reconciliation and mercy and forgiveness, right? the first time I saw that I was a seminarian and it just took me aback because I immediately understood myself to be the son and the father to be God, the father Mm -hmm. and how, even though I can be a real dope at times, uh, you always could come home. you always, he's always there. Yes. Right. And, um, I would love to see the original. I've never seen the original. I'm not even sure where, it, where it is. Do you know where it is? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't. I mean, I could look it up, I suppose. <laughs> you know, actually, as an aside, on YouTube, there is a great channel that's called Great Art Explained, where they take masterpieces... And they and the narrator, who is is also presumably a scholar, because his, his knowledge is incredible, and they explain the depth and breadth of works of art. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if they have it for for the Return of the Prodigal Son, which is its technical name for Rembrandt. Mm. But the analysis of, for example, the Mona Lisa, is it, this two version, the 16-minute version and like an hour and a half version, it was just wow. fascinating to me. Michelangelo was fascinating. It's just absolutely fascinating. And the, the, uh, the discovery of uh, an authentic crucifix that Michelangelo sculpted when he was 18, 20, in wood. Wow. Jesus totally mm. naked on the cross. That they've just rehung. Anyway, but the point is that is it. Because in some shape or form, what animates my religious uh, imagination is compassion. It's not seeking perfection, it's seeking compassion and mercy because if you don't have the one, you can't have the other. You can't strive for perfection without recognizing you failed along the way. As for a sight, you could guess what I'm going to answer, how I'm going to answer that question.
0: Yeah, I I think you're going to say Without a doubt, amen, (laughs) stand for the creed.
1: (laughs) Yes, without a doubt. And this trip in World Youth Day solidified that,
0: without a doubt. Wow.
1: Without that. I, I I may have mentioned I think when we had our last two, a couple of podcasts ago to see the seminarians walk the path on their knees very late at night showed to me the power of Fatima and how Our Lady moves people to encounter her son it really is an amazing place and I know people have different opinions and it's not to say others are not beautiful and others are not powerful but for me personally the Vatican on the other hand while it's majestic, it's grand, and of course to be with the Holy Father is always a blessing. There are too many tourists, yeah, that have reduced it to like a, an attraction. Yeah. And maybe as I'm getting older and getting less tolerant of that sort of behavior. But even in the time when I lived in Rome to now, it's just different my sense is more and more non-Christians are going to St. Peter's. Non-Christians meaning yeah. either non-Christian by, by religion or non-Christian that they're baptized Christian but they don't practice their faith. Right. So they're going as a tourist
0: attraction. It just, it bothers me. Yeah. Do you have yeah, that sense too? Or is it? I do, yeah. yeah right. I, I, even it happens at um, St. Patrick's in New York. It's every... Every big, beautiful church is like that. Yeah, St. Patrick's is. At least St. Patrick's, from, my, from what I
1: remember, when they celebrate mass, the tourists don't come in. Right? They close off. Yes. Right? Yeah, because at St. Patrick's, literally anybody who comes off Fifth Avenue, you're a tourist, you're this, you just walk in. Below, I mean, right? But it's
0: in your heart, you can't say don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I wonder if what you're saying, Excellency, is the reason why when, w- when I went to Rome um, five or six years ago, the, the, when we went to St. Paul's outside the walls, it was empty that day. Oh, tremendous. And that was the church that hit me the strongest tremendous. on that trip. And I wonder if it's because there was nobody else there. Yeah, oh no, tremendous. tremendous.
1: In fact, all three of the four major basilicas, right? The arch basilicas, St. Mary Magus, St. Giovanni Laterano, and um, and Saint Paul outside the walls, I for prayer, they are far more conducive to pray in that yes. than Saint Peter's.
0: Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I, I would, and I would also just say, there's a place that people don't have to travel to Europe to go to a place that will really move you. <laughs> um, uh, years ago, my family visited Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Yep. It was, this was part of a longer vacation that we did. And they have a grotto there, which is on the mountainside. It's just a big shrine. And when when Rule and I pulled the car up there, our kids were much younger and our kids were like, what, something religious? No. But, but we spent three or four hours there and something about that place when we got back home after our longer vacation, the kids were like, that was the best part of our see? whole See? <laughs> it proves the adage, no one grows up voluntarily.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Everyone's led to grow up, sometimes initially against their will, and then they discover what it is you want to give them. Hmm? Unfortunately, some people haven't grown up. <laughs> That's part of the problem,
0: but let's see, good. Excellent. So now our next question, this question. Yes. So I think you already gave a hint to what your answer might be, but the the, the question is, what is your favorite parable to give a sermon on? Prodigal son. Because I could give 25 homilies, Hmm. different
1: angles. Let's take it apart for a second. What are some of the things? Is it a parable of forgiveness? Yes. It's also a parable of generosity, the Father's generosity with no condition, whether you're righteous or not, whether you failed or not. That reflects God's generosity, which many people do not believe. They believe you have to earn God's love. That's one. Other aspects of the parable, the righteous son's blindness to his own righteousness. That's a good mirror for all of us to look in every once in a while in our own lives. Because we may not say it as bluntly as he did, but there is that sense of, thank God I'm not like that poor pathetic sinner. Right? The fact that we've talked about this, the fact that the older brother's money paid for the younger brother's party <laughs> mm-hmm. is something we could think about in our own lives. Mm. Right? Yeah, The fact that we don't know what happened to the younger son, nor do we know what happened with the older son, is interesting. Because they both had a moment of grace. Did the older son actually come around? We don't know. Did the younger son actually stay on the straight and narrow? We don't know. And that uncertainty is itself a parable. So uh, apart from the, the other, I just think, that the parable is so rich that in many ways, as I've reflected and preached on it, it, it holds up mirrors to my own life that other parables, parables, at least in my estimation, are not as thought-provoking, rich and direct
0: as that one is. That's why it's my favorite parable.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, awesome. Okay, uh, next qu- question number four. Um, In today's scripture So written whenever (laughs) Whenever the the email came Hmm? Yes In today's scripture God said to Solomon Ask something of me And I will give it to you Solomon asked for an understanding heart And to judge right from wrong What would your answer to the question be? Okay, next question
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to give you my answer I want you to give you your answer too Okay So you have time to think Okay. (laughs) Brutally honest, to be totally frank, I would ask God to have a more forgiving, charitable heart. Because I find it by personality and by ministry and by temperament, it is very easy for me to fake forgiveness. You know, in other words to give the person the chance to start again. But deep down inside, a part of me says, and I'm just waiting for you to botch it up again. <laughs> hmm. So to have a truly forgiving heart, not like an 85% forgiving heart, is as much a good for the person who has the heart than the person who will receive the forgiveness it's equally liberating. So if I had to ask that, I would ask for
0: that grace. Yeah. Now you, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I, I I can't, (laughs) I can't think of anything other than something. I would be completely selfish. Excellency. If I, if the Lord said, I'll give you something, whatever you want. The only thing I can think of is that, you know, I would ask the Lord to bring me and my family into his eternal love. Oh, and that's I know beautiful. it's totally selfish, but.
1: <laughs> that's beautiful. That's ultimately why we exist. Yeah. Tremendous. Of course, Solomon did okay. but Solomon, just have said that Solomon kind of botched things up too, poor thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just for the right. record. <laughs> he blew it yeah, towards the end. exactly. Okay. All right. So, um I watched a video on YouTube in which a nun mentioned several times she was a consecrated virgin. Mm -hmm. Wasn't exactly sure what that term meant and looked it up online and was more confused than before. Mm -hmm. What is a consecrated virgin and how is this different from a regular nun? Interesting. I'm not sure why Sister called herself a
1: consecrated virgin. Because in fact, in religious life, you vow poverty, chastity, and obedience. And therefore, in her chastity, certainly she's consecrated. Certainly she would be a virgin. At one time, you had to be a virgin your whole life to enter religious life. That may not be the case anymore. But in religious life, when you say you vow, you are a virgin. There is no sexual intimacy at all. But the truth is, the term consecrated virgin... Is a state of life that refers to the laity that enter yes. into this life. It could be men, it could be women, who vow, right, to have a life of chastity without any sexual um, uh, 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 contact expression, as we normally would use. Even with the marriage, right? They would they mm-hmm. vow to give their life totally to Christ. And we have young women in our diocese who are being formed to enter into consecrated virginity, into the life. Of birth. So you hear it in the in the gospels. You hear it in the even in the litany, mm-hmm. the virgins. That's really what you're talking about. It's just dedicating your life to Christ, and not necessarily as a religious, but as a lay person, as a professional, as a lawyer, as a doctor, whatever you may be.
0: Yeah. So I, ho- it's it's, it's an amazing vocation,
1: but very difficult in our world. Yes it's difficult for two reasons number one because we're hypersexualized as a society and number two when you do mention it most people don't understand what you're talking about right, right? yep and i think we have to resurrect these you know like we do in the guilds we eventually have to resurrect the orders too so the order of penitents the order of the virgins the order of the
0: catechumens and yeah we have to mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah all right next question mm-hmm. St. John was the beloved, St. Thomas was the doubter, and St. Matthew was the tax collector. If you were one of the 12, what descriptive adjective would you give to each other, and what would you choose for yourself? (laughs) Oh, no. To each other? You mean St. John, (laughs) St. Thomas, St. Matthew? I wouldn't dare. (laughs) Uh, I think the questioner was asking about you and me, (laughs) actually. So I would say you are St. Steve,
1: the patient. (laughs) I, on the other hand, would have to say I am St. Frank the Stubborn. And the reason I say that is because I'm stubborn. I am. Once I'm won over, then it's like a, a, a wall of bricks. We're doing this. Come Hades or high water, this is what we're doing. right? But to move me on the mark, that's a little bit of my father in me. My father was steadfast, but he was stubborn. Right. Once, but once you won him over, that was it. You, there was an ally. Mm. The powers of hell could come. It would make no difference to my father. So, but that's not endearing like the beloved. The, but, yeah. But that's the honest, that's what I would say about myself. And I'm, I'm not saying that with any great, like a plum, but I just it is what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: I- if I if I named you, Excellency, I think I would call you um, Saint Frank the Evangelist, oh, because of your community, to co- your ability to communicate the faith in a relatable and inspiring way is just top notch.
1: Well, thank you.
0: So, and yourself? Uh, so when I was younger, I might have dubbed myself uh, Saint Steve the Fighter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, but. But I think I think I would call myself now uh, the the loyal because um, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for that compliment. So now we have to rewrite
1: Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, uh, John, and Frank. Right, <laughs> right,
0: exactly. <Yeah>. That's scary. <laughs> well, thank All you right. for that. The, so now the next one is fascinating. The, well, the next one, I, I wonder where this is coming from. But it's quick and short. It just says, uh, "Excellency." What kind of car do you drive? I, I drive a black 2016
1: Murano. Nissan Murano. Now the story behind this is this. When the other car died, I asked for a small car and they bought me a Murano. It is what it is. At the beginning, I, the car and I did not get along. Too big, huh. it's too. But now I've actually fallen in love with the car. Yesterday it crossed 155,000 miles. Oh wow, looks like a charm. <laughs> so my goal is to get to at least 300,000 miles. That's the
0: goal. Nice. So nice. it was
1: 2016, uh, it came to, to the diocese in August of 20, of August of 2017. So when the model 2016 year ended, we've been August and then the 2017 year started. So I have it for six years. And, you know, it, it, it's, you know, shows a bit of his age, but now we're best friends. We're not, that's it. We're going, we're going out together. That's the goal.
0: <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that right, that uh, listener wants to buy a new one. Maybe that's why. Oh, uh, no,
1: I don't want one. I
2: like this one.
0: <laughs> no, thank you anyway.
2: All
0: right. We have, we have three more questions. Mm-hmm. We can plow through them. Um, okay. Here's the next one. It says, uh, uh, Bishop Frank, are there demotions in the clergy? For example, can a cardinal be quote demoted to a bishop or a bishop quote demoted to a priest? Okay, so there's demotions
1: or penalties and disciplines. So cardinals and monsignors are pontifical honors, they can be removed. But that which you obtain by ordination cannot be removed, but you can be disciplined or restricted in the ministry of it, right? because once a priest, you're a priest forever. But you're not a monsignor or a cardinal forever because the Pope can say, the honor I gave you, I take away. There's a famous story. I forget who it was. Leo XIII, somebody who a cardinal came in, and in those days, full regalia, galero, red galero, the whole thing. And at the end of the short meeting, the Holy Father put a plate out and said, uh, the galero is mine. They put the galero, wow. and he stripped him of his title. Wow.
0: Yeah. (gasps) Those were the days. Oh, Oh, gosh. All right. Let's see. Uh, With the exception of retiring, expiring, or advancing in rank, why is it that priests are rotated through different parishes? Okay. So it's a very
1: good question. It's an excellent question because you could argue both ways. Actually, the code presumes a pastor stays for his entire life in a single parish. But we rotate them, it's, it's interesting, um, at Father Palmer's funeral, Monsignor Zoulo quoted a Frenchman when he described who a priest was, and he said, one of the things he said was, a priest is a member of every family and belonging to none. So in a sense, priests are rotated out of their parishes so that the bonds, again, that on one hand can be very beneficial, on the other hand, do not become so close that, that that objectivity that you need is not lost. And as good as a priest is, he always has liabilities as any good a bishop is. So to have other points of view, other perspectives is good for the family of the parish as well. So that's part of the reason why they change.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And finally, what did Jesus write in the sand when he asked if the adulteress should be oh, stoned? There is no definitive answer. But what I heard in a, uh, did I hear it?
1: No, I read it actually in a commentary which I thought was fascinating was, remember remember the story. So tell us the story, Steve, what happens?
0: Yeah, so uh, Jesus came across a, a crowd of people who were about to stone a woman mm-hmm. for adultery. Mm-hmm. and uh, And he bent down mm-hmm. and he wrote something in the sand mm-hmm. And then he stood up and he said, uh, let the one among you uh, without sin be the first to cast cast the stone. Mm -hmm. And they all went away. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a a stream, a, a school of thought in the tradition that said, speculating, of course, that said what Jesus was doing was writing the sins of the Pharisees. Because the offer was that he was going to forgive hers, he would forgive theirs and their self-righteousness wouldn't allow it. But could you imagine the law getting up and just wiping them clean in the sand? Lost opportunity. Do we have a, a time for one more? Sure, okay. sure. So there's a question that says in the following order, can clergy own pets adopt, get tattoos, pay taxes, get social security, and wear short pants? Okay, so the answer <laughs> to that question is yes, no, not advisable, <laughs> yes, so you go to jail, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so can you own pets, yes, but you gotta be mindful you live in a rectory with other men, right? Can you adopt, no, because we don't have the stability of life. Can you get to a twos highly not advised for a lot of reasons, okay? Mm-hmm. Pay taxes, if you wanna avoid prison, you better. <laughs> get Social security is mandatory. And to wear short pants is at the discretion, I guess, of the person. when Not on duty, of course, not when you're in the parish, but if you go to the beach, I presume you're going to wear shorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. You might wear Christians shorts under a cassock. Oh, yeah. Under a cassock, most priests do
0: because it would be too hot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Having a little fun here. And we will be right back. Hey, this is Matt Sparaza from The Tangent. Each week on The Tangent, my co-host, Father Sam Kachuba, and I go on tangents to show how intertwined the Catholic faith and our culture really are. With guests like Scott Hahn, Dr. Greg Pitaro, Crystalina Everett, and so many more, The Tangent is always entertaining and informative. Check us out on Fridays at 1230 on 103.9 FM, 1350 AM, anytime on the Veritas app, or wherever you get your podcasts. God bless. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we answered you answered a lot of questions. Um, uh, I've been asked, and I and I'm happy to um, make a, a small pitch for something that's really special Young adult that's coming mass. up in some Young
1: adult mass, yes, please. I say Matthew's Parish on Saturday, September 30th, um, we're going to gather at 5:30 with Eucharistic adoration, mass at six, and then there's a social after. It's open to all young adults and remember young adults is not just single people young adults are young families with children all young adults right throughout the diocese are welcome to come and I guarantee you we're going to have a great time
0: and you are going to be there for all and of despite us. that we're going to have a great time <laughs> <laughs> you can if uh, if you want to if you want more information you can go to catholic203.com it's catholic203.com And if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media or email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Um, Thank you, as always, for joining us this week uh, on Let Me Be Frank. And we want to give a special big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations and Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you so much. My pleasure.
1: It's always today it was a lot of fun,
0: actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Bring
1: those questions in. We want them. As many. As... Yes. Okay, so let's pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Together we pray. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. amen. May Almighty God bless you and the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Enjoy these last weeks of summer, my friend. Thanks, I'll see you too. Awesome. So-